Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Welcome, everyone, to this uh, segment of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We are with Frank Mobus of Mobus Creative Negotiating. This should be a really interesting conversation. He's going to negotiate something with us. I don't know what it is. He's the CEO. But, Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So give us an elevator pitch on Mobus Creative Negotiating. Well, uh, I've been doing this for quite a few years, and – the reason that I got into this is because that I saw that there was a real gap between uh, people being able to negotiate in an optimal way and the way they were actually performing. Um, for many years, when I would be called in to work with companies, and I've worked with most Fortune 500 companies at one point or another, um, the, uh, the main sort of request of the person inviting me in, and let's say on the procurement side, because we're at a, uh, the ISM here, uh, was make my people tougher. They give in too easily, <laughs> and they end up leaving money on the table. So, you know, how can you give them uh, a, a kryptonite so they can go wrestle with Superman? And um, and so the idea was, um, look, keep pushing the negotiation a little further, and what you may find is that the supplier has more flexibility than you assumed, and you can get the price down. And that was really the main focus of, of what people were looking for in negotiating training. And then just a few years ago, um, I was dealing with one of the largest procurement organizations in the United States, and um, and the VP of supply chain said, I've got a new problem. You know, I've always looked for people and try to recruit as my buyers people who who were very tough negotiators, who had a reputation to be tough, and we've given them tests to make sure, yeah, they, these people will not take it easy, that they'll keep pushing. And he said, the problem is this, is that one of my folks comes – back after negotiating a deal and says, well, I think I negotiated a really good deal. I got the price down 12%. And he say, wow, in that market, 12%. Great job negotiating. And then he said, then I would start looking at the contract and I'd say, wait a minute. Uh, we didn't get any payment, extended payment terms here. I mean, we should get extended terms. We're one of the biggest players in the country. Um, oh, we got no first install support. We didn't get any training. I wonder what kind of, um, what kind of warranty. Oh, fantastic. Get this price. He ended up canceling the warranty. So his conclusion to me was, great price, but got a, made a terrible deal. And that is really how negotiating is changing in the 21st century, which is it's not enough just to get a good price. What you really want to do is to negotiate a good deal. And it does take a different skill set, um, again, than, than just shooting for a lower price. You've got to look at the deal more creatively and more strategically um, and start with the premise that there's more to this deal than meets the eye. Because negotiating has become far more complex, these deals have many more moving parts to them. So it requires not just that you're in this adversarial tug of war with your supplier or on the other side of the table, the supplier with the the, the buyer, um, but that you're working together to, to identify what are the key issues that can make this deal really better for both parties. Okay, so you're into win-win negotiating. What are the current trends in procurement and sourcing? Because we know we here, Lou has a company, All Metals and Forge Group, that sponsors mm-hmm. Manufacturing Talk Radio, and there's always this lower price, lower price, lower price, lower price. We, right. and, and there are some very, very large, you know, Fortune 10 companies sure. who really push hard on that, but they push to the point where a couple of things happen. Uh, they're either going to lose a supplier, right. 
or they're going to put the supplier out of business. That's right. What, what's happening out there in the marketplace? Because there can't be that much give in pricing. No, you get to the point where there, there really is no more give in pricing, and that's why you often get these stalemates, and very often deals that should be made end up deadlocking and mm-hmm. really leaving both parties worse off. So, you know, I've, I've been asked many times about, well, are you more the win-win side or the win-lose side of negotiating? And I, I think that the term, this term win-lose is, is thrown around pretty casually. I think it's a sort of a misnomer because the fact of the matter is, is that if p- negotiating an agreement is a voluntary activity. If people didn't feel they were getting something out of it, they wouldn't go ahead with the deal in the first place. So you can say every negotiation, somebody wants, you know, both sides had to win something. Right. The question is, how competitive does it get? And um, so there's a competitive aspect to negotiation, and there's also the opportunity for people to collaborate and work together. Now, the difficulty and the challenge is, is that um, when you can't wish away the competitive side, I mean, the, the fact that we have differences, like you and I are negotiating, and you want, if you're on the supplier side, you want the price higher, and I want, I'm trying to get it lower. So there's a, a built-in sort of conflict of interest there. Um, on the other hand, we also are looking for ways that we can make this deal better suit your needs and my needs at the same time. Now, for that, we have to collaborate. The problem and the real challenge is, is that the, the competitive side of negotiation tends to be what I would call magnetic. It, it attracts all our attention. It's what we focus on. Our egos get involved. We get offended. And then all of a sudden we're in this tug of war, and it gets very hard. It's almost like that, that blinds us then mm-hmm. to, the, to the cooperative side of negotiating. But I start with the premise that in every deal there's always a better deal possible for both parties. When you're, when you're talking about negotiating a deal, are you primarily talking price, or are you talking other components that can make up the negotiation methodology, uh, i.e., what are the services you get, uh, what other kind of uh, benefits you get by using your product, your quality product over someone else's quality product? I mean, is all that part of the training program? Yes. Um, that's, a, that's a really good question because um, we start with this premise that the, that the negotiation itself, um, that negotiating is not just one thing. It's really a continuum of activities. And it starts with simple bargaining, where there can be just back and forth on price. And then that, in these more complex deals where there's more ser- complex service involved, where, where, right. where, where quality is an issue, then it, it's just li- like what this, uh, this sourcing VP said. You don't want to be focusing on getting a great deal, a great price, but making a lousy deal. You want to be focusing on how can we make a better deal. And that comes, so that's the creative deal making side. So we'd say that's right. stage two of negotiating. And then when we're going to be working together over time, the ultimate is a strategic relationship, which could be just a, you know, a, that we're going to be doing business together, for, we make a commitment to do business together for the next three or four years, or it could be a full-blown partnership. So there's, you know, there's a range there as well. Um, so that's, that's sort of the, the continuum that negotiating goes through. Not, not to be boring and bringing the subject up a second time, because we had this conversation a couple of days ago uh, on, on the air about the terms and conditions mm-hmm. that uh, corporations are beginning to use at nauseum. And you see the terms and conditions after the deal is done. You've done your negotiation, mm-hmm. and you've 
gotten the purchase order and you're now taking care of all your administrative documents and now all of a sudden you have a 40-page terms and conditions <laughs> sheet yeah. and now negotiations almost wind up opening up all over again. Absolutely. Because there's so many terms and conditions that they throw in that either are just onerous or they don't pertain to you and I don't want to sign it. That's and, right. And uh, have you run across this situation? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know if I can. Um, I, I just put a, uh, wrote an article in the that's in the current edition of the Supply Chain Management Review, and it's about it's about creating leverage and how leverage changes over the course of the negotiation. But this is one of the areas, which is that when you have a situation where there are um, where there's a lot of terms and conditions, the way I put it is that the the legal people then become the longest pole in the tent. They're the one. So sometimes you'll have people on the supply in the, in the sourcing area who will spend, you know, if it's a complex deal, maybe it's a $10, $20 million deal with some complexities, they're not going to settle it in one sitting. So it may take a couple months to negotiate that deal. But then it's held up for another eight months while the legal people <laughs> are going through the T's and C's where the they'll, one side will redline and send it to the other lawyers. They'll redline it, and they go back and forth and back and forth. And they and then very often it gets settled by being escalated up the chain of demand, up command, rather. But, of course, there you've got to wait for the people in upper management right. to get around to looking at it. And that's what, it's, what slows the whole process down. Right. There's a um, – one of the leading economists today is a man named Oliver Williamson. He's out of UC Berkeley, and he won a Nobel Prize a few years ago for his work in what he calls transaction cost economics. And that's the point that he makes, is that if people can negotiate with greater trust between them, then you lower those transaction costs. It works out a lot of this, the time that it takes to settle, especially on the T's and C's issue. Well, the T and C's, uh, I, I trust my buyer, I trust the company, but I don't trust the lawyer who wrote the document <laughs> because right. they're, they're, they're gotcha statements. Right. And right. they're written in such language that most lay people don't understand the consequences of some of the points that they bring up. So we at All Metals and Forge Group, we do go through our T and C's. Yeah. And we're now at a point where we can't afford the time because. Every order seems to come with 30, 40, 50 pages. Right. And uh, so we're working on a set of our own terms and conditions, which will probably be 10 pages <laughs> uh -huh. of gibberish mm -hmm. that we wind up saying, we don't like yours, here's ours, and let them go through that. Right. Well, the, the counter to that is that, and this is where you get into the, the highest stage of negotiating, which is the relationship building stage, mm -hmm. that if we have a good working relationship between the two of us built, so it starts like this. So I said there's this continuum that goes from bargaining to deal making to relationship building. In bargaining, the attitude between the two of us, we don't perhaps don't know each other well, or maybe it is because we know each other well, but there's mutual suspicion. To get into deal making, if we're highly suspicious, it will not work. There has to be a degree of trust that gets that's really negotiated, where right. I start trusting you, you start trusting me. We start sharing more information because I, I have confidence now that you're not going to take what I tell you and use it against me. And then in relationship building, it goes beyond trust into confidence. Confidence that you're going to help me out if I have trouble and I'm going to help you out when you have trouble. Now, I'll give you a positive story on this. There's a, a large... EPC co uh, contractor, engineer procuring construct. So these are uh, these are the people like Bechtel and Floor and Black and Beach. These really large companies, CB and I, and um, that I've 
guns work with, I won't mention the company, but in any case, um, and they have these long-term partnerships with people that they've been doing business, suppliers they've been doing business with for a long time. Now, there's a stratum of them that they refer to as their problem children. That, in other words, they have to deal with them because they have proprietary stuff that they must use. But it's like, yeah, the terms and conditions issue, and when things go wrong, they figure, you know, they know they're, that they're going to try to get taken advantage of and so on and so forth. But they have, they have some very, very good relationships with people. So they were doing a, a huge multi-billion dollar project. And this was a $750 million subcontractor, one of their good suppliers. And the contract was two pages long. Two pages long. Why? Now, could they cover everything in two pages? No. They could cover the basic. But they knew once we get involved in this project, if things go wrong, if there's a big change order, they're not going to try to, 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 to take a advantage of us on mm -hmm. this thing. Um, if we need help, if they need help, we'll help them out. If they need help with, with us going out and procuring some stuff they're supposed to procure on their own, but we're in a better market position, we'll do that for them. We'll lend them equipment if they need it. So it's that kind of, again, not just trust, but confidence that, to get back to Williamson's point, that, uh, that lowers the transaction cost between the two sides and saves an enormous amount of money. It really is the way you create value through having a stronger working relationship. Yeah, we, we believe in the partnering concept as opposed to the adversarial buyer-seller relationship. And mm -hmm. We find that it, if you have the right people that you're dealing with, it works a lot better and tends to uh, give you a longer relationship. Yeah. And, and it works well. So is that part of your, your training program? Yeah, absolutely. Right. That that's is now, let me just say this that it's not like when I said all negotiations are not the same, it's because all situations are not the same either. So there's two things going on. On the one hand, there's the kind of relationship that you have with the other side. Then the other thing is there's the kind of deal that you're making. You're not going to get into a strategic relationship long-term relationship with somebody who's you're just buying basic commodities from on a sort of catch-as-catch-can uh, catch catch basis, then negotiation may never get beyond bargaining. I mean, that's what you're really yeah. looking for is, you know, what's the bottom line here, and they're trying to maximize it, and that's as far as the relationship's going to go. Right. Frank, while it seems obvious to me, I'm going to let you uh, expound on the benefit to young people to learn these skills now that you know, I started learning in my 40s. They have a shot working with you to learn in their 20s. Uh, share that with our audience because this is... Yeah, I, I, think, I think young people today, and, I, you know, I, <laughs> I'm not a cultural critic, but um, I, I think there's a, it's almost like there's a special challenge in negotiating today. Um, and, and I think, well, I, I, I won't go into to my own prejudices about it because I have a I have a little girl. I have a ten year old daughter, so, so I'm getting a lot of a, a lot of insight into negotiating <laughs> with the, the really young younger generation. But but a comment that I've I've heard many times, and and also just in in working with different groups where there's people more mature and people who are who are younger, is uh, I think a lot of younger people are really almost turned off by the whole idea of negotiating. And I was talking to somebody yesterday who's, um, who, who stopped by, who's in the procurement area. And they said, you know, that was their challenge. They said, with these younger people, when you try to negotiate with them, very often they just walk away. They don't only want to negotiate at all. So what we've done is we've, um, we've done a couple of things. I mean, first of all, um, we've tried to open the, 
people's minds to the fact that look, it's okay to negotiate. It's not a it's not it's not a it's not a dirty activity, um, but you have to um, you have to face the fact that it it goes against the grain for how we handle ourselves in other parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. That you know, as we really have two two worlds we live in. There's a business world for those of us in business where we act according to market norms, where money is sort of a motivator. Um, but we don't spend that, that much time in that world. Most of the, our lives we spend in our social world. And a lot of what takes to negotiate, to negotiate well runs counter to what you do in your social life. In our social lives, we try to connect with people. We try to be agreeable. We try to be friendly. We're sincere. We're empath- empath- empathetic. Now, unfortunately, then what are the the keys to negotiating successfully, well, you got to pursue your own interests. You can't negotiate without asking. You can't negotiate without saying no when the other person asks for things that you don't want to give up. Well, that completely flies in the face of being an agreeable kind of person. So the point is that negotiating does not take, and this is the message I try to get across to them, negotiating does not take place between two black boxes. It's a very human activity. And you've got to recognize that what it take the, the rules of social life do not necessarily work well for you in the world of negotiating and vice versa. And so you have to sort of develop this mentality, a mindset, what I think call think like a negotiator. Um, so anyway, that's the, the philosophy. Now in terms of the technology to get it across, it's, it's a different age. Um, traditionally, these ideas have been imparted by putting on a seminar, a two, three-day, four-day seminar, sometimes a one-day, you know, it's a little shorter. But in any case, where people just sit there and they take notes and, you know, you may, may have some exercise they do and things like right. that, it's much more challenging for people that grew up in the generation of MTV where everything is sort of like in sound bites. And so what we've moved into is also we do an, on, uh, uh, an in-person seminar, but it, an online course where people can access it um, in 15 or 20-minute bites, right. um, and they have to pass tests before they go to the next thing, so you know that they're not just sitting there uh, uh, multitasking and not <laughs> absorbing too much <laughs> right. at the same time. Then there's there's a number of uh, other teaching devices we've uh, incorporated into that. One thing is the use of what are called sims, where people are actually negotiating against an avatar. So it's sort of like a pick-your-own-adventure where you are presented with a choice, and you've got to make a choice of A, B, or C, and then that leads you down a path to another series of choices. And mm-hmm. and they each and so each of these exercises, these negotiating scenarios, has like a dozen different potential outcomes depending on the choice you make, and each one then has a lesson on what went well and what you know what you might have done to strengthen yourself in that right. negotiation. Before we go too deep. Uh, could you share your URL address for our listeners, uh, for those who are interested? Um, yeah, my, my, my your website. My website, yeah. It's, um, it's uh, my, mine, it's uh, mobusinc.com. Can you spell that for our... Yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> my, my name is not exactly Smith or Jones here. Yeah, Mobus is spelled M-O-B-U-S-I-N-C.com. Thanks for asking. Okay. Well, it's great that you're putting these tools out there. What have you seen as people go through your courses in terms of if you do follow up with them, how are they performing? What's happening? What are the what are the employers coming back to you with and saying, you know, wow, this is what we've got? Yeah, I, I think that people get an immediate boost from from the program, but 
it's like everything else that um, especially when you give them a lot of knowledge in a short period of time mm-hmm. it's a little like trying to drink out of a fire hose um, and there's a lot of information and so that's why we have we also have follow up to the program through these sims through the online we have a series of webinars that we make available for free and you know we were going to charge the webinars because we had a we had a lot of demand for them right and then we decided look instead of doing that let's do it for a more of a mass audience and and specifically it was a lot of these younger people who are not accustomed to laying out money for stuff like this um, to you know so that, that the younger crowd could also um, uh, access that but that and, and we have a newsletter series that's on our website we have blogs and so forth and I tell people look the main thing is is you you know, if you don't use it, you tend to lose it after a while. You've got to mm-hmm. keep going. And I said, look, even if you don't have it, because some, some folks will negotiate, you know, on a fairly routine basis. And then there's some people who negotiate a few big deals a year. So they may go three or four. I said, look, if you're going a period of time between negotiating, go to a flea market. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> just, <laughs> just to keep in mind, yeah, we can negotiate here. In, or, or go to Shanghai. That's a, that's yeah. That's, oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's the greatest training ground ever. Right. Dubai. Uh, what um, the types of uh, negotiations scenarios that pop up? Uh, do you go through any of those? And I'll give you an example. Uh, the type of situation where you're dealing with a potential new customer, or if you're negotiating with a ongoing customer. Or a somebody who you've known for years, right? Uh, do you have different styles of negotiating with those people? Yeah, I mean that 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 pretty much corresponds to the issue of the continuum. So that if it's somebody that you haven't done business with before, you really are going to start in a bargaining mode. Um, you're going to be fairly, you know, mutually suspicious of each other. You just don't know because people look the most exploitative negotiator I ever worked with was the most charming person I knew in this world. I mean, charm. <laughs> you know, that's that's typically it. Yeah. So, you know, people would... Yeah, we never met before. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people would open up and tell him all their vital information. Go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he would use everything he learned to, t- to, to, to drive into their bottom line. So you really can't do that. You, you have to say that, look, again, it's this distinction between the social world and the business world. And... Um, and recognize that when people get their own self-interest is involved, sometimes you know people are pretty trusting, and sometimes people will try to take advantage. So uh, until you have a better feel for the other side, um, you yeah. Know, yeah. And, and I think that's one of the big mistakes, which is people try to get into the relationship mode a little too too early on mm-hmm. before they built mm-hmm. that trust. Frank, how often is it a, a difficult situation for a negotiator to separate? Ego from outcome. Oh. That's that's sort of like the sixty-four thousand dollar challenge. Um, yeah, it, it's it, what I said before is that because negotiating has this competitive aspect, mm-hmm. there. I, I think when you know, it's just we relate to other parts of our lives. When we get into a competition, we want to win. We want to do better than the other side, and and our egos do get tied up in that kind of thing, and. Um, that's why I say that you're, you have to have 
what I call the right mental model to negotiate effectively and to try to separate out the emotional side. And when you talk about ego, there's ego is just one of a series of what I would call emotions that are in the red zone, things that, that slow you down or can cripple you when you negotiate. Right. Um, it's Sometimes it's, it's ego. It can be people get, and related to that, people can get angry, people get frustrated, people get under a tremendous amount of tension where they worry. And all that makes it impossible for them to, to use their creative resource. It sort of blocks them from being able to really think in a, in a, uh, a productive way. Interesting. Good points. Good points. Well, Frank, I, we're certainly going to follow uh, Mobus, Inc. I, I want to delve a little deeper into this uh, because it's a fascinating subject area. I will tell you, when I went through negotiating training 20, 25 years ago, it is a life-changing event. Right. It's very exciting. You learn all kinds of very interesting new skills. So what you're doing is, is terrific. We wish you all the luck. And I'm probably going to reach back out to you in the future and have you back on the show. Thanks well, for I would enjoy it. Thanks, thanks very much. Thanks for having thanks me. Thanks for being here with okay. us. And we've been speaking with Frank Mobus of Mobus Creative Negotiating. He's the CEO, and you can get to that website at www.mobusinc.com. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.